Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another installment of a beautiful podcast. How are you this fine afternoon, this fine sun, sunny uh, the 28th of July, 2022, as I record this? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing better than great. I'm over the moon. I'm so excited. Uh, and that is because by the time we talk again next week, right, a week from a week hence, uh, I'll have reached two very crazy to ponder, crazy to think about milestones uh, in my life and career. First, uh, I'll have crossed off 12 years on the spring team uh, at VMware, which is nuts, right? Absolutely crazy to think about. Um, and uh, and I'll also have been promoted officially, effectively, uh, to a P7 here at VMware. So let's talk about that, right? Um, first, the 12-year thing is pretty crazy to think about. If you did ask me when I first joined uh, in August of the first week of August, first Monday of August, 2010, um, I would have said that uh, I would love to still be here 12 years on, but that I doubted that I'd cut it and be allowed to stay that long. I feared this would be the first job I'd get fired from, uh, especially since I was a, a pure play engineer before, not a developer advocate. So this is a completely new role for me. Um, it still feels like a completely new role for me, although at this point, um, I've been earning money as a developer advocate for just a little bit longer than I earned money for just a, for, as a pure play engineer, right? I had, um, I'd been in industry, uh, since 2002. So it's been 20 years actually come to think of it more, a little bit more than 20 years of working, uh, you know, as a software engineer, but I, I had little side jobs and all that stuff for years before that, um, little contracts, little gigs here and there where, where I was doing software. So, uh, it's actually pretty crazy. Actually, when I think about that, I've been a, an advocate, uh, for longer than an engineer or like a pure play engineer. And don't get me wrong. Advocacy implies engineering work, but it's not only engineering work. And certainly there's, you know, as a, as a portion or percentage of my day, I spend less time than I did before on pure play engineering for sure. Um, but it's still there. It's certainly very much still there. It's increasingly still there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I switching to become a developer advocate was, and still feels like a new thing. Uh, and, uh, and not only was I, so not only was I swimming in the deepest of, of the ends of the pool, but I was, you know, swimming in the deepest of pools too, right? I was, uh, working with and and for, of course, uh, the the spring team, uh, but I was doing so handicapped, you know. In effect, I had to I had a an anchor around my neck, right, because I was trying to keep up with uh, and not get trampled by giants, um, while not being able to rely on my usual uh, skills. Um, and it was it was humbling, <laughs> very very humbling. Um, I had to skill up in a completely new career path. There's no reason to think that I would have managed to endure 12 years hence, but somehow here we are. Uh, uh, don't ask me how, but here we are, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm honest how I survived. I still wake up every day wondering 
what all I'll get to do, to learn next and uh, what amazing things will happen, you know, next. Cause it, it feels like it's just, you just kind of wake up and watch, you know, I just, I just wake up and watch and fun, amazing things that make me smile happen every day. I learn something. I meet somebody. I, um, uh, have a cool conversation. I, whatever. It's just a very, or, 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 you know, or more, more usefully, I get to build something that scratches, uh, people's itches, you know, um, to, to, to help them alleviate whatever pain. And a lot of times, uh, you know, there's things that need to get done, but they don't need to be products, right? There's things that need to get done that don't need to be, uh, supported and maintained and, and, uh, you know, uh, officialized, right. They can just be a thing that scratches an itch and no more. And, um, a lot of, a lot of what I do in this capacity as a developed advocate is to provide that kind of work, uh, to just scratch the itch, but not, not to, uh, you know, get head count and all that assigned to it. I don't need to, I can just build something that solves a problem for a small contingent of people. And, and that's it. And, um, you know, I, I've talked about this before. Um, but I've just been blessed to have worked for some of the coolest, most patient and indulgent people in the business. I've never once had a person uh, for whom I've worked to treat me poorly. Um, indeed, I've been pleasantly surprised, uh, surprised is an understatement, blown away uh, consistently over and over by just how insanely kind and supportive they've been to me. They, they've gone out of their way to support me, even though... Uh, few would argue I deserved it. Um, certainly, I wouldn't have argued it, right? A, a lot of a lot of times, these acts of kindness and compassion and, and, and patience and indulgence came out of complete left field. I, I had no idea they were going to happen. I just didn't. I wasn't asking for them, you know. Uh, my first manager when I first joined the spring team, the first person to have made the mistake of hiring me uh, was Adam Fitzgerald. He is, you know, uh, a saint and. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll forever be grateful that he gave me the, the shot at, at this job and this, this career. And, uh, he's changed my life for the better. Then of course, Brian Dussault, uh, you know, you may recognize him from his years as the, uh, manager of the spring R and D group. Then Andrew Clay Schaefer, uh, who's, you know, a luminary, right. In the cloud and, uh, DevOps space. Uh, and now Tasha Eisenberg, who is just, words fail me, you know? Uh, so if you get a chance to work for and with any of these people, you take it, trust me, you won't regret it. Not once, not ever. Uh, they're the epitome of professionalism and generosity. And I'd follow any of them into fire. Tasha Eisenberg though. No, oh, she's something else. She is, she is something else. Indeed. Her star has risen because she works harder and does better work than anybody I know. And, uh, there's just no, there's nothing else to say. It's just she, she is, you know, the company gets more out of her than she gets out of the company. You know what I'm saying? She gives more uh, and, and just does an amazing job. Um, and so, you know, uh, her, her entire team, my, the team on which I work, we all know how lucky we have it. Um, we've... We fight for her and she fights for us, right? Uh, mostly she fights for us, right? It's it's kind of insane. It really is baffling just to, to, to ponder just how much she has done and done for us and, um, and given to this team and to me. She's been endlessly patient and kind um, 
uh, to me, right? Uh, the latest example of that, of course, is that I was just promoted to a P7 at VMware. I'm now a proud member of senior staff. Um, I don't know how many people we have at VMware, but you know, you can. I, I suppose it's probably north of ten thousand, right? Um, uh, there, are, there are, you know, tens of thousands of people. I don't know how many. Nobody tells me anything. Um, but I was told there's like hundreds of P7s, right? To give you kind of an idea of what we're talking about here, it's it's rarefied air, right? P7 is a level. It's a it's a peg in the ladder. So you can be P7 in engineering or in management or or whatever conceptually, right? The titles change across the columns, but the rank, the peg on the ladder, uh, is normalized across the organization. And these, in turn, I suppose, map nicely to L7 or P7s in other large Silicon Valley companies. Uh, and this promotion took some doing. Um, Tasha had to gather testimonials from. See, I, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. I can't believe this actually happened. Uh, Tasha had to gather uh, testimonials from senior people, like executives and super senior people, all of whom are my heroes, of course, and for whom I'm eternally grateful. Uh, in the spring team and and uh, beyond, uh, in support of this promotion, they had to write letters to support this promotion, right? Um, which is a big deal. I didn't even know that she had to do this and I didn't know that they had done it. And only when she was able to, when, only when I was able to know that I got the promotion, did she send me those letters and, oh yeah, I, you know, there were, there were tears. I was, uh, I cannot tell you how, um, how much they meant, uh, to me, uh, just because you, I, i I love this team. I love the spring team. They have treated me better than I've ever deserved or ever will deserve. And I've, I've, I work as hard as I can to support them, but it's never, it, it, it will never in my mind be enough because they deserve better. You know, they deserve a better class uh, of, of, of teammate and they're stuck with me. And the fact that they're so kind anyway, uh, it's just endlessly um, beautiful and kind. And I appreciate them. So to read these letters, you know, to see them do that for me was, <clears throat> yeah, that was, uh, that was something else. So, um, uh, yeah, that took a, that, those letters meant something, and she had to kick off this process. Tasha did more than a year ago. It's a it's a long story, but Tasha went not just the extra mile, but you know, an extra five hundred miles. Right? She had to campaign to promote me into this role, uh, and it finally, finally, finally happened. Um, it, I mean, it took years in that it took more than a year, right? So let's say years, uh, probably years. I don't. Even, it's just been so long. I've I've, I, I even stopped caring about it at one point. I, I forgot about it, you know, because it's just such a, it was such a hard slog. Uh, and uh, and then I got the confirmation last week that it finally happened, uh, effective the 1st of August. And, uh, oh, yeah, uh, I am thrilled. Um, so, so thank you, Tasha. Thank you, Spring Team uh, and VMware for giving me the shot uh, and giving me uh, the best years of my life. No, no qualifications there. Just, uh, I, 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 I'm telling you, telling you, my friends, if, if, uh, if this is what it's like to be an adult and I was wrong when I was a kid, I, you know, being an adult is awesome. This is great. Let's do this. Let's do more of this. Um, I, I look forward to whatever comes next in my capacity as a member of senior staff. Uh, you know, these hallowed, halls of senior staffdom or whatever. Um, and, uh, and I also, I also look forward to returning to the beach. You see my friends, I'm still on vacation in Maui, uh, in Hawaii. 
and the sun's out and my family, my partner and our daughter uh, and my and my partner's mom, my, my, my daughter's grandma, are waiting for me to drive them to the beach. So let's press on with some equally amazing news. Uh, today's guest. Today's guest is my friend and chief rabbit herder on the RabbitMQ team, although I doubt he'd character, characterize himself as such. He's um, unflinchingly humble. Uh, Dan Carlin. Dan's been a manager there for a long time and has seen the RabbitMQ projects through some incredible, incredible uh, revolutions and evolutions, about which, by the way, he speaks in this interview. So I won't uh, spoil that surprise. Uh, I've tried to get him on the show before. He's one of those people where, you know, he's always, he's had to decline, but it's not it's not like he had to decline uh, because he wasn't interested. It's just, he was already overcommitted. He's just been doing so much. Um, and uh, he's been so dang busy. And uh, so imagine my delight when he accepted at long last my invite uh, and he came on the show. And as always, my friends, I hope you get something out of this. I certainly do. I, I love uh, what Dan's been doing. Uh, the Rabbit and Q team has just been, you know, they're, they're an over, they've been in overdrive for the last uh, 12 years. You know, there's just so much cool stuff that has taken it uh, from being an interesting project to a bedrock sort of foundational piece that I, I, I reach for first in almost any project, unless there's a particular use case, a rare uh, uh, very, very specific use case for which it's somehow not the best choice. Um, and that happens very rarely. So, uh, thank you, Dan, for join, uh, joining the show. I hope you all enjoy and get something out of this. And as, uh, as always, I'll see you next week. that works the recording the the, that button scares me because if it doesn't work then the whole meeting is shot and there's no point and you know uh, it could go the other way thing is it has to start working yeah yeah if it doesn't work i mean this is like a lot of people get on a meeting like oh hey can i record this so that i can review what we discussed for posterity later but like with us with what i'm doing with a podcast the recording is the meeting right the uh, the, it's not a side effect of the meeting. It's not like I'm here to have a conversation with you about something else. And it would be nice to have the notes. It's the, the product of this meeting is the output. And so it's very weird that that button is so. It's not a nice to have. It is the, the essence of the entire thing you're doing here is you need that recording. Right. And, and it, it seems to have equal priority with things like live transcript and emojis, at least visually, you know, in the, uh, in the buttons there. And I don't know. I just feel like it deserves a little more weight. Um, no, it's weighty for me too, because I mean, I went into the studio with the band I played with not too long ago and we recorded stuff. And as soon as it's recording though, just the air changes and it gets intense. It's not the same, oh, yeah. conversation's easier, but yeah, I felt that little, I guess they call it red light fever. When when the red light goes on, you just- you get I've never heard of that before. Is that what this is? You don't, I hope people don't have that when they talk to me. Like the the- the whole point of the podcast was just to turn on like the, if I could do it secretly without breaking laws, I would have done that. Right. Cause like what I want is just to capture all these cool conversations that was happening with people before in the old days when we can travel, uh, I, would, I would have all these cool conversations with people and I was like, Oh crap, that was interesting. I'm going to turn on the microphone just to have that. I just wanted to share. I just literally wanted to like leverage these hallway conversations I was having with people. I bumped into it at shows. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they, now it's a forcing function. 
you know, it forces me to, <laughs> to hang out with people since I don't have that natural sort of serendipity of meeting people anymore, uh, which is why I'm glad we get to talk because yeah. I, I consume uh, uh, your, you've been doing it for years now. You work on RabbitMQ, right? Uh, yeah, uh, back before the Pivotal spin out uh, at VMware, I was a product manager for RabbitMQ when Alexis uh, was still in charge of Rabbit, you know, Alexis after- Yep, when Alexis Ooh. Richardson was there. I've actually awesome. got my LinkedIn page open. I can't remember the dates too well. Um, but yeah, I was product manager at, back when Randy McBlain was the VP and um, and the, the London team was building Rabbit. And then um, at some point there was a reorganization and I took over people management of the engineering team in essentially... 2016. So it's been about six years that I've been people manager of the, of the engineers. And initially it was the core engineers, the open source. And then also they later merged in the, um, the pivotal teams that were building uh, the PCF uh, service tile. And now we're doing Kubernetes work as well. So can you, so, so that I don't butcher your, your, your resume precedes you. Who are you? Like, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, my name's Dan Carwin, and I live in San Francisco, and I would classify, my, classify myself currently as the people manager of the engineering team that builds uh, RabbitMQ, both open source and the VMware commercial editions. And would you say that you manage the people that manage the rabbits? Yeah, well, I guess so, yes. But there are, I also think about there's a whole other uh, group of people who are the operators who are on site managing yeah. the rabbits in their organization, and we're trying to work uh, and help them. And there's also the support team who are trying to help the helpers, you know, help those people that manage the rabbits. And I'm, I'm trying to have a good relationship, you know, work hard with the support team to make everyone's life easier. Um, but yeah, I, the, the rabbit MQ engineers, similar in some respects to the spring engineers are super expert and self-motivated and yeah. self-directed. And um, I, I really feel like a support player and, making sure that their lifestyle is sustainable and that we can keep clear heads and keep creating. Yeah. And I mean, there's been some huge names that have passed through that group because it's, it's at the intersection of so many different engineering problems, right? One is reliable messaging. Yeah. Uh, the other one is the sort of distributed systems theory that underpins any, but any effort with Erlang and, uh, and uh, you know, the, um, uh, what is that distributed transaction? Yeah, well, well consensus algorithms and yeah. guarantees. And that is the real key when we're, as a side topic, when we're looking to hire new engineers for the team to bring people on, um, as you probably know, or we may talk about later, Rabbit, the core broker is coded in Erlang, but one doesn't need to know Erlang to get started. The more important thing is that someone compares about, cares, not compares, that someone cares about and is interested in distributed computing science and, yeah. and theory because those are the problems that the engineering team is solving um running clusters and today running clusters in different regions and and doing backup and making sure that when a message hits rabbit that it exits rabbit or is safely stored and and yeah so that's the key thing this uh distributed computing science and knowing the theory and being interested in it is the key thing that kind of binds a lot of the team together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a hard problem to solve. And this is one of those things where you see people 
building systems and they're and they think they're just going to use any old yeah i don't know I, I see people bring in uh you know a sql database and they use that as like a, a place to stash messages for some other side to continue it's like you're reinventing a message queue you know i mean don't uh, it just seems super super bad to go down that rabbit hole hey yeah. We had, we actually went in and did some major rework of the way that we do guarantees um, and the way that we store um, messages in a cluster. There was the original implementation of what we now call classic mirrored queues. And that implementation was done by one of the original Rabbit engineers, um, really bright, it was done, but it was kind of invented or created by that person. And we ripped all that out and redid it with a new raft-based algorithm, right? Using some proven science um, and re and re-implementing uh, the way we do high availability with the and that was the quorum queue. Um, and that's a major step for us, but it kind of was equivalent to going into your closet and ripping out some skeletons and putting something in there, you know, that's worth displaying. Right. And then moving forward from there. Wow. Oh, that's crazy. So you're maintaining has it resulted in like higher levels of higher levels of availability yeah it is much more reliable it it saves resources and it is you know it's proven itself to be so effective that we are now looking to deprecate classic mirrored queues so that code will it's not it still exists today but in probably the next major release of rabbit um, it will be gone and uh, to make that successful we are working on migration uh, to help you know, the people that use classic mirrored queues today move to quorum queues uh, smoothly. Can you explain, uh, explain like I'm five, the difference, you know? I would like, like to, but, but again, compared, you know, I'm more like three and a half uh, okay. in relation to someone explaining to, to someone who's five. The, the one simplified thing about it is that the old implementation was like a round robin. Uh, implementation where one node would receive the message and they would kind of like the game, uh, I don't know what it's called, the game called telephone, where you tell the next person and then they tell all the way around the ring. Right. So if you had multiple nodes in a cluster, messages received at node one, it would inform node two and then node three, and it would go around the circle until it was complete. And then the message would go back to node one and say, all right, everyone's got it and it's safe. It's now in the cluster and it's stored or however many mirrors were set up uh, okay. in a particular configuration. Didn't have to be every node in the cluster, but many people would actually set up HA all. And so it would have to touch every single node and go around. And then there were issues. So that took a long time. And that actually worked against the idea of adding more nodes to a cluster to make it scale up because right. the more nodes you've added to a cluster, you now slow down that that consensus process. For the whole system, for every right. message, henceforth gets slower. The To understand the raft algorithm, I don't want to really be the one to explain that. There are a lot of good presentations by, by folks on our team um, uh, who implemented it, and they can explain it really well and really clearly. But the idea is that there is a consensus of nodes. Doesn't have to be um, all of them in the cluster. Um, but the the mechanism by which we make sure that the message is safely stored in the cluster is much more efficient um, and it's more reliable um, because it's based on, you know, 
proven, you know, proven mathematics and, and computer science at this point. So, and you see, I mean, you see raft use all across the industry. All over. Yeah. It's the standard. It's actually, there's actually a, didn't, um, Kyle Kingsbury, I think he even built a framework that people can use to build their own raft consensus, you know, implementation, uh, on basically it's, he provides like 80% and then people can, it's, but it's, I think it's like uh, closure. Yeah. And well, we, um, we do use his Jepson tests. I mean, we have our own fork mm -hmm. of it, our own yeah. little private Jepson testing environment and, and we've used it, uh, quite a bit. So yeah, thanks to, thanks to him as well for making that possible. And if you go back in rabbit's history, you can go all the way back and see when it was formally tested by him. And there were right. instances where, uh, he saw messages being dropped. Um, and with today's, uh, quorum cues, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't drop messages. Wow. So we beat the, the we beat the Jepson. We made an improvement there. Yeah, we 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 seek to maintain compliance uh, and pass our Jepson tests. Yeah. That's the for people that don't that don't know. I don't know if he does them anymore. I don't know if like it feels like he got every piece of it. I don't yeah, it's been a few years. I know that um if if a company wants to hire him to do it, um at the time that I spoke to him, he was available, but you had to get in line. He was he was doing gigs at the time and then he would uh Oh yeah. Contract him to run the tests, and and then the flip side of that coin was that the test results would be public, so yeah. you would get to work with him and to get to give it your best shot. But he was he um, retained the right to publish whatever the results were, which is fair because he gave. I mean, maybe you could tell me, but what my understanding is he also helped people see what they needed to improve, so they they had actionable like. This yeah, and I don't, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but if I understand correctly, it wasn't like a blind test and then the results are open in a box and it could be disaster. You had the opportunity to work with him and see initial results, yeah. improvements, try again. And then, um, and I suppose one could pull the plug on the whole project if it was really disastrous, but I yeah. never heard that happening. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just having, because as I understand it, he was, it was, uh, he, it, you know, he knew how to like, he, he could speak in a well-informed way about what the system sh should be doing or what it is doing. Yeah, he really did know what he was doing and what to expect. And he'd done it a, a number of times. Yeah. Anyway, I hope, I don't know. I haven't seen those. I haven't, I haven't even checked it. It'd be cool if he's still doing those. I mean, I don't know if there's any more, any more new. Sounds like know. he'd be a good guy to have on the beautiful uh, podcast series. Yeah. yeah that's one I gotta like find out. Yeah. That'd be cool. He, he would be a, uh, but that would be, Oh man, can you imagine the explain like it explain like explain like I'm five level of I, I just don't even he, he's he's one of the few people where I understand the grammar like I understand grammatically that these words fit together. Don't know what he's saying. Yeah, you'd want to print it out and sit down and read it a few times I, in your comfy chair and then oh yeah. I get it now, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. Or I just I want to I want to have somebody translate, you know. He's he writes his his blogs are uh as as approachable as possible and he does a great job of illustrating them and making simple analogies and all that but I, even you know every now and then sometimes like oh okay well i know that makes sense to somebody i'm just going to keep reading you know yeah. um anyway but yeah so it, did he i think he did he do the rabbit mq test by himself and then we just like glommed onto those and tried to improve or did he do it with the testing that he did on rabbit mq took place before i really entered the picture Okay. I think that was earlier. Um, and I can't call out the year, but if I'm guessing, it sounds like, uh, yeah, I don't even know. It's easier for someone to just look it up. Is it 2014? You know, at this era, it was, 
a few years back. Um, and Rabbit has certainly, you know, we took it seriously. And that's one of the reasons we went in and, and did the work and built quorum cues because we wanted to, to be able to pass the Jepson test. Wow, that's so cool. When did we do the quorum cues? This was, I think we did quorum cues, I would say I've been in six years. So maybe year, year two, three, and four, we've been doing those for going back. We probably have, have had them out a couple of years now, two or three years now. And now we're working on streams uh, for RabbitMQ, which is, you know, the, um, you know, storing the messages and having a traversable message store um, to provide oh. that type of um, uh, retention for those RabbitMQ users that would like that. Yeah. That is cool. Oh, that is super cool. Yeah, wow. streams came out a while, and then the newest thing we're doing to push that further is we're calling it Super Streams, which is a partition stream. And then um, we're actually doing that with guidance from folks like Gary in the Spring Org, who are, wow. are letting us know what he wants to see to make it uh, a key player for Spring Cloud Stream, Spring Cloud Data Flow. Um, and he's we're working in partnership with the Spring Org there to make sure that our what we build is useful. Ah, oh, that's so cool. So cool. RabbitMQ is, I mean, there's, there's a, again, it's built on Erlang and people talk about Erlang and, you know, there's the OTP, right? The, uh, yeah, the Erlang time. runtime. Yeah. It's like yeah. the JVM in a sense. Yeah. But it's also a supervisory hierarchy of actors, basically, right? It's a way to guarantee at least once, uh, sort of semantics for, for distributed actions on a, on a cluster. Yeah. Uh, but from, yeah, from my ELI five understanding, it's you know there's a lot of um, clustering and consensus language built into the Erlang OTP, which right. is one of the reasons I think Alexis and the original RabbitMQ authors chose it as a language because a lot of the primitives that make clustering easy are built into the language. I mean, and there are obviously limitations that go along with that as well. Sure. But um, what we do see today from my point of view is a healthy Erlang OTP community that's responsive to us when we when we bring up issues and 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 some pull requests and we have a good relationship with them. So um it's it's still growing and alive. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh but but, but I only call that out just to mention that if as powerful as OTP is, clearly it hasn't solved the very important issues that uh, RabbitMQ addresses. Otherwise, there'd be no room for RabbitMQ, right? And it's just kind of interesting that, it, I mean, RabbitMQ is not a new project. We had uh, Alexis on the show a few years ago and, you know, happy to have you finally. Um, but uh, but the project itself is... Well, we had our 10th anniversary just like a couple of years ago. I mean, everything in terms of my personal mental history gets a little fuzzy when we hit the pandemic but um yeah we <laughs> celebrated our 10th anniversary and it feels like it's been a couple years since then so maybe we're at year 11 or year 12 so it's a long-standing product oh, oh for for the for the open source project yeah okay uh what is so RabbitMQ as an open source i mean as a company as a as an open source project is over 10 years old at this point wow if i'm honest i thought it, i, I would have thought it a lot more than that because it was acquired in 2010 and it already existed oh, 20, 2007. It started as a joint venture between L-Shift and Cohesive FT in 2007, acquired by SpringSource in 2010. So 2007 is, what is that, 15? Yeah, there uh, you go. Years? Yeah, it's a, 
it's it's been around and 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 for good reason right it's one of those things where it just effing works you know it, it's not one of those things where you have to yeah it's not it's not a, it's not your flagship product it's not sexy right it's yeah. um but it's like plumbing in your house you've got to have it in many cases um and the way we try to build it is so that it's reliable you get it installed and it just works and it doesn't yeah. bother you um yeah, because if if it does bother you, it's kind of like your sewer backing up, yeah. uh, and then that that's disastrous. Yeah, yeah, and smelly. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm a big fan. I, that's what I'm trying to say. It's I have um, it's well, there. Are, first of all, there are hosted versions of RabbitMQ, RabbitMQ that you can use, and there are every cloud vendor has their own like thing of it, and you know some better than others, of course. But uh, and we have the best. Mm, um, uh, distribution right wait, wait so how do people consume yeah there are there are um two uh two leading cloud vendors that are providing RabbitMQ as a service today cloud amqp is one of them and then um amazon also recently launched a a RabbitMQ as a service right um and we at vmware are the company that employs the committers to the project so vmware is the steward of the RabbitMQ project, just as they are of the Spring project, right? Um, and we, you know, try to strike that sweet spot balance in terms of what goes into the open source broker and what we retain as potentially commercial extensions or commercial add-ons, and that goes into the um, the Tanzu RabbitMQ, you know, the VMware Tanzu edition of Rabbit. Oh wow! And that. Um, those extensions are really targeted at large enterprises and are intended to be something that large enterprises would be willing to pay for. So we're providing, for example, compression between nodes, internode compression in a cluster. So if you're running your rabbit on a cloud and you're paying for your network traffic, you want as little as possible that right. can help you save you some money. And then the other thing that we've uh, implemented is a warm standby. Um, where you can keep a replica of your running production rabbit cluster uh, warm and ready to go in another location. And you know, if you have problems with your primary data center, you can switch over. And um, you know, those are essentially extensions of what is available in the open source, which is keeping an empty rabbit with all the schema there, all the users, you can do that. What we provide in the commercial edition is the ability to keep live data there as well. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, other areas that we that we dabble in, I guess, on the enterprise side are extending uh, support for authentication, OAuth two authentication, and things that large enterprises want us to to provide so that they can run Rabbit in and amongst you know the architectures they've got going. The 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 important thing I like how you, you preface that by saying it's for the large enterprises, uh, but that's not to discount. The fact that there are some huge enterprises just using the open source stuff. Yeah, it's it's the reason it's so popular. The reason it's so ubiquitous is because it does just work, right? Um, yeah, a lot of really large enterprises use free open source Rabbit, right? Right, and then some portion of those people come to VMware for technical support, and others don't. They self support. They hire people who are good at Rabbit, yeah, and they support it themselves. Um, and you can see some of those people. If you go on YouTube and look at some of the recordings by people representing those companies from the RabbitMQ Summit, 
Right. So the RabbitMQ Summit is an annual event that is co-sponsored by Erlang Solutions and CloudMQP and, and, and VMware, formerly Pivotal. Right. Um, and that's where the engineering team talks a little bit about the roadmap, as well as customers come in and talk about how they're running Rabbit. Right. It's actually coming up in September, I think, this year. So oh, um, in, where? Uh, in London. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I want to go. Nobody and we've had, you know, a, a lot, an example of a very large open source user is like Bloomberg. Um, and they have a really dedicated expert team that runs a massive uh, set of, in a massive Rabbit installation. Yeah, Bloomberg's huge. Well, so I'm looking at stackshare.io. I don't know to what extent this is accurate or not. Um, but as of uh, 19 July, 2022, this website, this is like a website people go to report their stacks, you know, to the, the different dimensions of their tech stack, you know? Yeah. And uh, they've got companies reportedly using, here's 1936 companies reportedly using RabbitMQ in their tech stacks, including Robinhood, Reddit, and, and tech stack itself. Uh, there's also Accenture and uh, CircleCI and Alibaba Travels and Travalgo or Travago, and, you know, just a bunch, right? Like, I'm, I don't know. I have no idea if that's real. That's this just just this website, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Is my point? I've seen, and that's just those are the big names, the banner names that are out there. Uh, you know, I I know I can't I, I can't think of organizations that don't use it at some point. You know. Yeah, the main uh, the main place where well there are a lot of communication channels, but a couple of the main ways that we talk to open source users are through the the RabbitMQ mailing list, right? And then through we have a, a public Slack channel. Um, who Gavin Roy set up for us, and we're grateful to him for that. But there's a public Slack, and then of course through uh, GitHub issues and and GitHub discussions. Yeah, um, yeah. And we see we see big names come through all the time from all over the world, um, and so it's great to 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 see the adoption. And that's one of the things that you know we've got going for us. Yeah, exactly. And and the reason I like it is because it's just it's it's a pain to install big, massive distributed systems. But this one, you can just like, just get, it's, get it, you can get a Docker image and, and start working in yeah, we, minutes if you want to, right? Getting it up and going is pretty easy. Yes, but you know, when it's set up, RabbitMQ is architected from the beginning by folks like Alexis and yeah. founders to be developer empowering. Right. So compared to other messaging systems where there's a clear separation between the architecture uh, and the schema, and then, you know, the application pushing and receiving messages into the system. With RabbitMQ, the API is, in one sense, all-powerful. You can create the topology for yourself, then you can have your application push, push and consume messages as well. So the developer APIs include the ability to do all the topology. Um, the idea that getting set up and getting your broker running quickly and easily is, is a key goal. Um, and I think one of the reasons they called it rabbit is you can set up lots of little rabbits uh, and then they can talk to each other, you know, in a Warren style situation, as opposed to setting up one big monolith enterprise service bus, which was the way it was done by the other vendors at the time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and that's why people sort of balked at the idea of uh, the ESB pattern, because suddenly you've got all these distributed systems and now they've just made the single point of failure, the message queue, you know, like uh, without 
scaling that out without having the ability to do that scalably, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. you get issues. Uh, but yeah, RabbitMQ is super duper fast, uh, you know, easy to scale. It's just, it's, it's, I, you know, I use it in a ton of demos all the time, right? Because it's just so darn easy to get going. Um, yeah. The, the other thing we put a lot of effort into is client support for multiple languages. So if we implement something like streams or, or the next thing, super streams, now we have to go back and make sure that all the popular languages can talk to that API. So we, you know, we go back and work on the Java client or the Go client. Um, and we work with the community on, you know, Rust. And we took over the PyCA client um, yeah. from another Gavin uh, shout out. So we're maintaining the uh, the PyCA client for Python. And that's another reason Rabbit is is popular because there's there's a widespread language support for it and we put right. a lot of effort into making sure the clients uh that at least the ones that we maintain are up to high standards and the java client is essentially the flagship right well and and i think is it is that i don't think that's always been the case but certainly since it joined certainly since the spring source acquisition of RabbitMQ, i remember you know the java client getting much better Quickly, yeah, when I spring for spring for AMQP, right? For yeah. Um, so the the three clients that we initially maintained, sort of when I came on board, were the uh, .NET client, the Java client, yeah. and then the Erlang client, which we also use internally. Um, right. And then since then, we've added the Pika client, um, <laughs> and we maintain that. And then uh, we also work on, you know, we're developing Go clients, and then we also have the ability to sort of participate with other people. So if there's a third party out there who has a good client, but it doesn't have nice connection retry mechanism, we can go in and, and, and help them develop that. But it's oh. still a, a community client. And that's one of the awesome things, I guess, is there's just a large number of community clients across the right. language space. It would be a bear to try to maintain everything ourselves. Well, wait, wasn't Pika? So that's the Python one. That's the Python language. But wasn't that a separate community one at one point? Yeah, that was, I think, the primary author. If I, I could be totally wrong, it's Gavin. Gavin Roy maintained it, but then he began to work on other things. Um, uh, and his maintenance of the client slowed, and he was very clear and public about that. Um, but people still loved it. And we're looking at it from a support standpoint and from a, you know keeping it alive. And we asked him if we could take over. And now we've got folks on our team, uh, like Luke and others, who are who are maintaining Pika. So this I allows see. us to, to keep that, that client alive. And we sort of inherited it from the community in, in that respect. It was donated. Or, oh, okay, that's so yeah. cool. So he, he doesn't mind, uh, he, he's happy to have. To happy yeah, to, as far as I understand, he's happy to have us sort of take over the, the maintenance of that client and work I, on it. And he's- I love this community. Stuff. I love it. Oh, and so that, I've used that one. Actually, I used that one. I have, um, I've used the spring one, obviously the Java experience, the spring for MQP experience has been my go-to way to consume RabbitMQ for the last 12 years, right? But yeah. um, but I've also used uh, the Pika one because I have some stuff that does, actually <laughs> for this podcast itself, uh, um, there's a, a thing that does uh, processing on the audio streams, right? So every episode I publish a new episode, actually, is that true? Let me just, let's just go ahead and, let me just look this up. So people go to github.com, bootyful podcast with the hyphen in between the two tokens. Um, and there's a thing. Let me see. 
what is it called? It's called repositories processor. Yeah, I'm using Python for the processor and it in turn, let's see what my pip file says. Uh, yeah, I'm using Pika. There it is, Pika. It's exactly, it's the, it's the only way to go if you're in the Python community and you want to talk to RabbitMQ. Um, yeah. Processor V2 under bootiful-podcast. It does audio processing and it, it, it does multiplexed, you know, and it also shells out. So it's really a natural fit, I think, for Python. But yeah. I wanted a really nice experience with RabbitMQ and that worked great. Not as nice as Spring, but it worked. The challenges we'd heard from the user community and also from the engineers on our team was that the Pika client was very powerful, but also very low level. And so you had to get pretty granular if you're going to use it. Um, and I think that's one of the things that our team's working on now is sort of building up some simplification layers, maybe some abstraction to, to provide users that don't want to get that granular to, keep, to make sure that they're doing it right. Right. So, okay. So that's, uh, so the focus is on the client. Um, one, of the, one of the focuses, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a split 60, 30, whatever. The, the main thing that we're doing is improving the broker mm -hmm. and keeping it up to date, keeping, you know, trying to stay on the cutting edge, keep up with spring, keep up with what community, the, you know, users, both commercial and open source, what they want. And then there's that truth that even if the broker has feature X, if the client can't make use of it, it's useless to the world. So we have to then uh, keep the clients up to date as well or support the community as they work to keep the clients updated. So we've got um, you know, client authors on our team who implement something in language X and then describe how to do it. So authors in other languages can then do the same thing in the language that they're building the client for. What? Okay, but so... Can you tell me a little bit about the protocol AMQP itself? How does that play? Like, I don't remember reading about super streams and the AMQP spec, for example. Um, yeah, that is correct. So <laughs> the AMQP client is um, has been around a long time, and I, I'll probably skirt the discussion around um, the idea of it uh, being a proprietary, you know, um, protocol or not. It was an open standard at the time. Got ratified later. Where we are today is that the a lot of the internals of RabbitMQ are based on the uh, 091 AMQP protocol. Right. Uh, there's a large movement, and this is on our roadmap, to make RabbitMQ more protocol independent. So as we look at edge computing, um, MQTT protocol, and others, and as we develop new protocols of our own, such as the stream protocol, which is not AMQP you know, 091, it's not AMQP 1.0, it's a new protocol. Right. Um, what we do when we develop streams for RabbitMQ is we allow users to use streams with the 091 AMQP protocol or to use the new native streaming protocol for which there is a new client if, to get the added you know, benefits and, and quite a bit more speed. So- yeah. Internally, our roadmap is pushing to the point where we want to have the internals of Rabbit be a bit more protocol independent so that we can send and receive from messages of different types, right, uh, natively, quickly. Um, and one of the ones we're looking at is like MQTT5 and, and so forth. And yeah, so by, and that's, and also relates to RabbitMQ being around a long time, but being willing to go in and rip things out and rebuild them better. Um, oh yeah, 
I mean, if you, as we started the show by establishing that RabbitMQ had had its living brain, you know, swapped out while the thing was still alive, you know. Yeah, one of the core one of the core features, right? That was a big one for us, but it, it worked out really well. And so, um, when you have success, you get emboldened, and we want to see Rabbit uh, embrace and support a bunch of different protocols. And I think that doesn't really like uh, RabbitMQ. At some point, there is this discussion of, well, okay, do I lose? I, I think MQTT was useful as a way of tamping concerns people might have had about investing in an, an otherwise unknown broker. Um, but I, I, at this point, there's just not a lot of competition for RabbitMQ, right? It, it is singular. Uh, in 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 what it does and what it does well and the reasons for which you might consume it and it is the undisputed leader in those categories right so I, I don't really think queuing to a particular spec of a particular protocol is all that important anymore right there's certainly out there other brokers today not not message brokers but there's certainly other uh, distributed log systems and things like that right that don't purport to cling to a particular protocol they don't, and nobody's upset about that you know right they um, have their own proprietary protocol and, and that's generally fine with people um yeah Rabbit as long as the code's apache to license i don't really care you know yeah um, or something we, like that rabbit is a multi-purpose broker so it's okay. you know you can use it for a lot of different things and it was that's kind of the way that we maintain it as um you know equivalent to the mysql of of you know database systems rabbit is multi-purpose it supports a lot of different languages and use cases it's not designed to be hardcore niche in one area um, right and so when you compare rabbit to other systems you find that they may be they may exceed in the niche that they're targeting and i would hope they they do but you could also do that same thing with a rabbit perhaps a little bit slower um, but you could still get it done. And that's what we're working towards. Yeah, and I find that- And it may be easier to actually still, implement. Yeah, who knows, right? The performance right. is still more than suitable for, I think, I, I haven't yet, I mean, I know there are some uh, hyperscale news, use cases that make the news where somebody used brand X or Y, but uh, RandomQ, the, the thing that's so cool about it is just, it's, it's everywhere. It's probably backing parts of the system you're using right now, whatever that system is, you know? Um, it's so, so ubiquitous. It's like the world's best kept secret. The other thing we work really hard on is making upgrades easier these days. So when you talk about it's running everywhere, it may be running a really old version and we want people to, to be able to update and keep up with the latest. Oh um, yeah. We put a lot of effort, you know, we implemented feature flags as well so that you could do in-place upgrades of a live cluster without downtime. And that was another big step for us. Um, you know, and it's, yeah, it's driven by us wanting to be, to, to approach that appliance quality where things just work. Well, so, okay, about that. We talked about how easy it is to just download a tarball and get a, get a cluster going on your, on in whatever configuration across whatever number of physical nodes or even on your same machine, just multiple nodes there. I've done that before, you know. Um, and, 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 you know, that remains true. It is trivial to get RabbitMQ up and running and scaled. Um, but that still work, right? I, I think if I'm deploying a cluster uh, these days, as I'm going to production, and these days, as often as not, production is Kubernetes, right? What's what's my story there? I don't want to have to like, I don't the, the distribution of my RabbitMQ system 
and the distribution of the pods that contain the various nodes of my system. Those are two different algorithms. There's two different things there. I don't want to figure that out. I don't want to make these things work, talk to each other and play nice together. Do you yeah. have a, a an operator or a controller? Yeah, we have a, a family of operators. We have both the, the um, installation and lifecycle operator. This is part of Tanzu Rabbit. So this is available through VMware. Um, they are also open source, but yeah, they're, they're open source as well, but <clears throat> forgive me. We have a family of operators, uh, two main ones. There's the lifecycle operator, which installs and upgrades and maintains Rabbit. And we have a team uh, that works on the service operator experience and they develop and maintain that. And so that's a key piece of simplifying, especially in a corporate context, uh, maintaining Rabbit. Right, providing automate, automation for not just installation, but for day two operations as well. And then we have a topology operator, which will, um, which can be used to set up the architecture within Rabbit. You know, the exchanges, the queues, the users. Um, so there's a family of operators that that we've built specifically because uh, we're looking towards Kubernetes as a, you know, as a production deployment environment. Wow, that's so cool. So, so yes, you can. Pay so if I use those, I can still pay VMware for support, but I can just easily kubectl apply my cluster itself. Yeah, and the, and the operators can deploy open source Rabbit using the the um, the Docker image, you know, the, right. the official Docker image, or it can deploy the extended commercial VMware edition Tanzu uh -huh. Rabbit MQ, which has the you know inner node compression and the uh, um, and the offsite replication. And the security, the sample. Yeah, and there may be some of those actual plugins, like the OAuth plugin, may some of that stuff may still be open source. But you know, depending on what we're going to do in the future, it may have other commercial extensions. Correct. So cool. Oh wow. And you should be able to switch back and forth. By the way, once you you know you you use the commercial edition and you don't like it, or you end your contract agreement with VMware, you should be able to switch right back to the open source version. That's match. That's a level of quality that you don't get from some project that was incubated yesterday. You know, like it, again, we've got because we have so many uh, users out there, right? It, you, we can't just be haphazard with our uh, backwards compatibility. And we, you know, and it, just listening to you reassure uh, the audience about these particular like edge cases about which I hadn't given a single thought, but clearly they're top of mind for you because you've got enough users out there saying, "Hey, this needs to work." Otherwise, whatever, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's data safety is one of the huge things and, you know, ease of upgrades, ease of installation, day two maintenance, all the automation that we can pack in that's safe. Um, yeah. and, and But the main thing does come back to the data safety and the fact that Rabbit in a production enterprise application is as important as the fresh water and, you know, gray water in your house or your condo. Um, and it has to work. Yeah. Uh, well said. Well said. Um, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned somebody like, did you say Bloomberg? Is that who you said earlier? Yeah, Bloomberg is a public user of open source Rabbit that has spoken, you know, in public arenas. So I feel okay naming them. And and they, they partner with us. Um, you know, our team meets with them about what their use case is and how they're doing things at really large scale and some of the problems they bump into that other people don't that we can target, you know, as we build enterprise class features. Yeah. Wow. The, the, when you get somebody, again, that's a, if anybody knows about uh, Agence Press or Reuters or whatever, uh, Bloomberg is another news terminal, but they do so much more, right? But their their origins are on lively 
on uh, on demand, you know, uh, news. You know, they're literally every millisecond counts when it's something like that, right? And yeah, and uh, I don't know. There, what, I don't know. There are other cases too where we're used in, you know, in trading applications and things like that, but those are, you know, not necessarily public. But, um, you know, there it's 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 a nice example because it's easy because it's already public and I can talk about it and 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 the folks there that work on it have presented and and they go into detail. So it's a good it's a good one to dive into. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, I I, I use it. Not that that's a big uh use case because i think i yeah yeah it works fine for it that's what i'm saying it, it works fine for me uh and i've been using it for more than a decade you know it's been it's it's just been i i think you can tell um a lot about the project by the caliber of the people it attracts or interests you know and so RabbitMQ, i think is a, uh, up in the very higher echelons of uh the community you know in, in that way because it's yeah, just that's, been... to, to bring it kind of back to the beginning of our conversation of right. what my role is i mean i'm a people manager for really brilliant engineers and um that's the, the i guess the coolest thing about my job is just the people that i get to work with and the fact that you know they they face tough issues and hacking out themselves and i'm not here telling them what to do i'm just sort of making sure it's working for all the different layers right um, I do a lot of open source license work and support policy work and and those kinds of things. And I let the engineers um, build Rabbit. And then we now have a really uh, growing product management team who I wanna wow. shout out as well, who are spending more face time with customers, potential customers, people who didn't choose Rabbit, why didn't they choose Rabbit? And then giving us some real good guidance. Wow. So, okay. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's clear. It's clear RabbitMQ is a, a well thought out kind of thing, you know? Its core value proposition has been like a, a message broker, a message queue, you know? And it can do transactions. That's another thing that people don't realize. You can do transactions. Uh, it does replication. It does, uh, you, you can write to disk or keep it all in memory, I suppose. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not sure about the new stuff, but I know the old world supported that. So, it, you know, it does. It, we may be doing away with RAM nodes, but that's another side thing. We're uh, we'll see. Yeah. RAM nodes. RAM. That's the in-memory oh. nodes. Yeah. Oh. But we'll see. And now you've got SSD. You know, there's. Yeah, exactly. Use fast storage, and then. Yeah. One of the things I loved about. Well, also, okay, that's actually interesting. Are you going to have okay? So if you move to this new world, one of the things I loved about RabbitMQ, and uh, I suppose I still do, if if you tell me. So um, is that it's trivial to write these little plugins that rely on the fact, like for example, um, I think the plugin for AMQP 1.0 in RabbitMQ was just basically a thing that took messages from an exchange or whatever and just translated it, right? And then- Yeah, exactly. And that kind of comes back to what we talked a little bit earlier about protocol agnostic core. There are plugins today that translate message formats from you know MQTT into what Rabbit stores as a 091 format and back right. out on the other side. And the plugin architecture, not just with relation to a protocol or a message format, but there's an open plugin architecture where folks can write plugins, I believe in Elixir or uh, in Erlang and extend Rabbit. And you can, you know, keep those plugins uh, to yourself or you can, you know, you can open source them and, and maintain them. Um, but that's another strength of Rabbit is its plugin architecture, which has been leveraged quite a bit over the years. 
Yeah. Um, regarding the AMQP10, this is a, one of the areas we are, we are focusing in the near future um, is to increase our support for AMQP10. And this relates to the architecture reworking that may, we may be doing inside of Rabbit to make uh, native storage of different protocols to, to re-architect the way we store messages to support multiple protocols without them having to be translated in and out of an AMQP091 format. And that will allow us you know, a whole nother quantum leap in terms of performance for those particular plugins or message format types. For, for yeah. protocols, sorry, not plugins. Sorry. Yeah. So that that's amazing. I wasn't that wasn't where I was angling towards, but I, I like that I, I like that you brought because that, that that is super cool. The possibilities, um, I'm kind of swimming in the possibilities. But what what back to the plugins though, if you yeah. don't mind. Uh, yeah. what are some I remember there being some really novel use cases for plugins in RebMQ, basically like things like um replication we're done as plugins and things like uh, uh, translating from one protocol to another, we're done as plugins. And, uh, you know, I just remember pe people doing interesting things. There was one that did backups or something like that to S3 or something. I, I forget. I mean, just all sorts of stuff implemented. Yeah, there, as are, like there are literally all sorts of plugins. And, and when, even when our team goes to work on rabbit, they often look at a plugin as the way to get it done. Um, so it's, um, oh yeah, there's it, a console. It, it's the go-to way, yeah, to to get thing to get Rabbit extended. If it doesn't sit in the actual broker code, then we write a plugin for it, and then that enables us to maintain them separately. Um, and you're right, all the plugin types that you listed exist. There are ex different exchange types written as a plugin, and um, right things you can do with messages as they're flowing through Rabbit, or you know. Um, to, to provide metadata about what's going on inside of Rabbit. You know, the, the, there's a plugin that provides you kind of an audit trail of what's happening in Rabbit and it's in, developed as a plugin. So if, you're, if it's important for you to record all the changes that are happening in Rabbit, you now have essentially a stream of events, you know, as a receipt. Um, but yeah, the plugin architecture, I guess, along with the client ecosystem is one of the, one of the huge things that makes Rabbit useful and easy to work on. And it's, and it's so flexible, right? Yeah. Those use cases, I'm sure the Rabbitm team envisioned a lot of these use cases, but surely with a flex with a uh, fle flexible plugin architecture, so so flexible as the one that Rabbitm supports, uh, there must be some plugins out there that are just, you know, beyond uh, your your imagining or envisioning. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there are. Yes, uh, just that's just really cool. I I've, I love that about the uh, the plugin architecture. I hope that I'm sure that because of its because that it because the implementation internally is at the moment uh, tied to 0.9.1, I'm sure that some of that will change in the future. But it doesn't matter. I just keep the flexibility. I don't care about the protocol, the the payloads. You know, uh, I, I just remember RabbitMQ being very, like for people who don't know, uh, RabbitMQ supports AMQP uh, at the moment, and it's I'm sure well in the future, but as a plugin uh, or something like that. But uh, the basic arrangement is messages come into a thing that a thing is called an exchange. Once they exchange, the, the exchange is just a door in which messages can, or through which messages pass. From there, it gets routed based, usually based on some sort of key in the message to a queue. And then the, that's where the consumer listens. So even just in the act of sending messages, doing publish and subscribe, you've got producers sending to one thing and consumers 
consuming from a completely different thing that has absolutely you know, not does, doesn't necessarily have any relation to the exchange in which the message arrived, right? And so yeah. there's a bit of indirection there, which is what you want in a message queue. The whole I it still irks me to no end that JMS is just producer queue or you know destination and then consumer tied to the same thing. I want that indirection. I want that revolving door that the exchange gives me because then. When the message arrives at exchange, I can do things like sending a copy of it off for, for wall, you know, right ahead logs or for replication or for backup or whatever. I can do all sorts of stuff by tapping that before forwarding it on or making a decision based on some algorithm that I've got as to which queue it should be sent for some eventual consumer, you know. And I can also introduce new brokers in between, right? Because they, that, that indirection allows me to do that. I don't break my code by adding hops in between the exchange at which a message arrives and the queue from which it'll be consumed. It's all transparent to the uh, producer and consumer. So the yeah. flexibility of RabbitMQ is, is such a big part of the reason why I love it. You know, is it's a, it's a true integration specialists broker, you know, yeah. built yeah. for integration. Thank you. Um, one of Thank the you. things there too, there's, you know, Rabbit does support JMS and Stomp and other protocols as well. Um, remember the JMS one of the cool things now. about the exchange and queue architecture is if you've set up a message flow to serve yeah. a certain use case in your company, and then you think of another idea, well, couldn't I also use the same messages to drive some other part of the business or to, to share? You can attach a new queue to that same exchange and get your copy of those messages that are currently being routed to another application for purpose A, they can now be routed to another, a new application for purpose B, and you right. haven't touched any of the vitals of the existing you know, business. Oh. You're now just getting new value out of, the, out of the same stuff because of the distinction between an exchange and a queue in this case. So important, so important. I just don't understand anything that doesn't have this you know, distinction, this indirection. Ah. Yeah, this is so anyway, that that flexibility. I'm as long as that stays, you know, uh, sign me up for the RabbitMQ revolution, baby. I'll be sign me up for continued support. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is I, I, anyway. You can tell I'm a fan. Um, I, and I remember, yeah, I've been using it. You know, I remember when it got acquired by SpringSource, right, back in 2009 or 2010, whatever we just said. Uh, and I remember. Um, it was one of these things that I didn't, because I'm, I was more squarely in the Java community. It used to be possible to be myopic, you know, at least for me, I suppose it was just because I was younger and uh, therefore less experienced, but uh, it was, it's very, it used to be very easy to not worry too much about other communities because we had JMS, right? JMS the was, Java community is huge. Yeah. And spring, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of, it's a big world. And then here comes spring support for RabbitMQ and then, you know, we've since in, we've got a whole thing called Spring Cloud Stream, and the whole point of that project is to make it trivial to consume just a, a whole gamut of different brokers. You know, different messaging technology—not brokers, but messaging pub sub kind of like technologies, right? Some of which are not really brokers, but they, you know, if you squint, they kind of look like it. You know, uh, they can you can send and receive messages. You know, I suppose by that measure, uh, an email server would also qualify, but we don't we don't have that binder but uh but the point is there's it used to it went from like just jms bit to to it's a reasonable discussion to have there's a whole you know continuum of all these different messaging technologies and uh you know even against that backdrop rabbitmq has been consistently impressive you know it yeah, is we are 
and we're driving hard to meet the spring community where they want us to meet them. Um, and in yeah. our conversations with Gary, we were talking about spring cloud streams, spring cloud data flow, you know, and the abstractions that even sit on top of um, spring MQP, you know, yeah. he says, you're going to need consumer groups. And mm -hmm. for me to yeah. adopt streams, you're going to need consumer groups and single active consumer. So that's what we're working on. And, and there's news. If you, if you take a look at rabbit recent news around uh, single active consumer, consumer groups to be able to use rabbits fastest messaging, you know, the, the journaled queue, right? right? So it's not even a queue type. It's, it's literally a journal. Um, so that, that if you want that super high performance, you don't necessarily have to use another vendor uh, provided system. And you're not going as slow as you might if it was a standard message in AMQP 091 message in and out of rabbit and right. get that high speed. But point being, I and our team are taking feedback directly from Gary and from the leaders in the spring community as to what needs to get built so that we so, can work well together. Just so I can, for the audience, Gary Russell, former lead of spring integration, current lead of spring for AMQP. One of the people you can just, if you have a problem and you're not careful, he'll write a TCP protocol adapter for it. You know, yeah, I'm kind of actually making an assumption that your audience knows who Gary is. So I'll leave that on you to, to, to refer back to maybe if you've talked to him or put him right. on your agenda in the future. But yeah, he is a gentleman that maintains the lead at least that maintains the libraries right. where spring meets rabbit. And yeah. so, um, yeah, he's, he's our, he's our point person with, uh, you know, feedback from that area. Gentleman Gary, he's one of my, he's one of my favorite human beings. And also he, if, if, if there were baseball cards, he was, he'd be one of the cards I would never trade, you know, like I, I yep. love that guy, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, the point is he, he lives integration. He lives messaging. He is the real deal. And he's one of those people that could write the protocol. He could write the Java code for the protocol itself, you know, and he's done it, you know, just blows my mind how talented that guy is. And uh, so the fact that you're working with him, uh, you know, no surprise, because of course he's diligent and he works on a lot of, a lot of really, really cool stuff that requires people like him to understand it. But um, yeah, makes me feel better. Makes me even feel even more uh, pleased for, for RabbitMQ, you know? Um, I don't know, I, I, uh, did we miss anything? I think we just covered where we've gotten ourselves up to now. Anything yeah. we, you, anything you, you can tell us about going forward that we can know without breaking any news that shouldn't be broken? Well, that we kind of have touched on some of the key roadmap areas for us, uh, super streams, um, yep. you know, uh, consumer groups, single active consumers, um, driving towards a more protocol agnostic core. Um, we're working hard in the, in the realm of Kubernetes operators um, and doing what we can to do uh, intelligent automation that doesn't try to do too much, but does what you want it to do reliably. Um, yeah. And the, uh, we're gonna be dropping the next minor release of Rabbit you know, in, within the next month or so, 3.11. Um, and then we're due for a major pretty soon. And I think one of the key features of the next major release is the Rabbit team re-architecting the way we store metadata. So today we store metadata using Amnesia primarily, um, which is a <laughs> database provided by the Erlang community. And it works as a general purpose database, but we've got specific needs. And with the advent of quorum queues, our message resiliency took a quantum leap, right? In terms of uh, data safety of the message layer. 
So we need to do that same thing with the metadata store. Um, so, and this is, you know, the, where all the information about the queues and the exchanges and users are stored. And we find that sometimes we bump into walls with amnesia. So we're, that's gonna be one of the, the next things where we've really re-architected the internals of Rabbit to bring the metadata storage up to the level where we've got the message storage. And that should um, be the, the hallmark of the advent of the next major release of Rabbit. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. It's so hard to change a, you're changing the engine out of a plane that's already flying. I mean, it is so hard to do what yeah. you're doing. The feature flags and, and the way that the team is doing it is interesting too, rolling it out piecewise. Some of the code will appear uh, before it's even enabled to make sure that the merge isn't too huge when we do finally move it over um, and things will be architected in a stepwise fashion. Um, testing, you know, doing small steps, making sure it works, and then more and more of the uh, important metadata gets put in when we're ready, when it's when we're confident. Wow, that's so cool. That's amazing. Okay, I can't wait. Can't wait. I um, you know, I I, I I'm a, a little embarrassed. I, uh, I I use Cloud MQP, uh, and <clears throat> I know I should be paying VMware, but uh, I think I just. They're cheaper. They were cheaper. They're partners of ours, and they've always been good with sharing us information about their users. And yeah. um, they have hired a a person to com to contribute to Rabbit. And um, you know whether or not VMware in the future launches its own RabbitMQ as a service um, and joins the fray, so to speak. You know, I've I've been very pleased and and met personally the people that work at CloudMQP, and they're they're dedicated. And it's a good team. And yeah. it's always fun uh, when we get together with them at the at the RabbitMQ Summit. Yeah, exactly. I, but I, my point is, I'm you're telling me all this cool stuff that I wouldn't feel bad about it. Yeah, I mean, you, you use what's available and uh, and what's on the market. I'm happy if anyone's using Rabbit because it it helps us in some way or another. The more yeah. people that have contracts with VMware, the easier it is to to pay the engineering team, right, and to grow it and to get that momentum kicked up greater and greater. Um, but open source adoption in any form helps us indirectly. Sure. Uh, I only mentioned all that to say that I am personally, as a user of RabbitMQ, excited about what you're talking about, and I can't yeah. wait to see it roll out, and I hope our friends at CloudMQP are like listening. Come on, don't, don't be shy with the upgrades here. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so where do people go to, go to learn more about, first of all, VMware support of RabbitMQ, and then RabbitMQ in general, writ large, and then, and then you, uh, in whatever order you want. Uh, if, if you're on the internet and you want to be found, that is. Yeah, the, well, you can always start at rabbitmq.com and there are pages or a scroll down on that page that points you to if you want commercial support. But rabbitmq.com is the open source website and we have links to partners there and we have links to uh, the VMware uh, information about the commercial edition and how to get technical support. Um, you know, VMware is the company that employs the uh, the code committer. So we have the ability to give real, you know, true guaranteed bug fix support. Um, and there is a RabbitMQ mailing list and a RabbitMQ public uh, Slack instance that people can join. Um, and then, you know, those are the main ways, but start at rabbitmq.com and take some links there. There's also um, some great information on the VMware website around Tansy RabbitMQ, which is the uh, commercial edition. Um, okay, that's what I was asking about, yeah. That's very cool. Um, and uh, the, the, will they find the information on the Kubernetes operators and all that stuff? 
there or there adjacent? Yeah, the the um, I believe there is some open source documentation on the Kubernetes operators, but the primary home. Uh, well, there's actually documentations also sprinkled in GitHub as well. But um, hit us on the VMware documentation site um, for Tanzu RabbitMQ, T-A-N-Z right. RabbitMQ uh, for Kubernetes. And that will be enough keywords to get you to the right place. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then what about yourself? What Where are you on the internet if you want to be found? Oh, I, um, I mean, I have a very quiet Twitter handle, but I don't use it. I'm just listening to other folks. And then you can email me at dcarwin uh, at vmware.com. D-C-A-R-W-I-N? Uh, yeah, D-C-A-R-W-I-N at vmware.com. I do have a page up on LinkedIn, um, but cool. yeah. Rock on, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I, I know this is sort of last minute, you know, but uh, this is- it's Probably better that way because you, yeah, you don't build up a lot of anxiety about it. You just go and talk to Josh <laughs> and you have a good time Wait. and then you don't worry about it. Yeah. Did you just liken, liken my podcast to a root canal? Um, <laughs> no it's more like a, it's a stage it's a stage of a certain size with a certain number of people uh oh i guess yeah and it's just me and some some people that have you know common interests yeah they, they just forgot to stop the autoplay feature on their phone when they fell asleep you know uh yeah no i, I really appreciate it really really it's been great uh, my pleasure to talk to you josh thank you hope to see you outside of podcast very shortly so, spring one i'm yeah. sure rabbit mq will be there yeah. oh yeah yeah. Okay. Well, and we're both in the we're both in the city, so we'll make this happen. Okay. Thank you, Josh. Thanks. Everybody. A beautiful podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs' Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs' Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.